Well, it is good to see you today. I want to thank you for taking the time to gather with Heart of Life today. Uh, for those of you who are at any of the uh, lo- locations, mission sites, we thank you for taking the time. Those of you joining us online, uh, we, we are just grateful to have the chance to celebrate the greatness of our God today. Um, first of all, I, I want to celebrate just a little bit of a Project Nick run yesterday that so many of you made a huge success. Uh, the strikers who were willing to host that thing, everybody who put in work to, to make it happen, and then those of you who, who bought the shirts and ran the race, I just thank you for making that um, something so wonderful that blesses a whole lot of kids across the world. All right? By the way, by the way, word is the winner of that race just happens to be a 50-year-old dude. As a former 50-year-old dude, man, was I proud as I watched him, as I sat and watched him cross that finish line. I was, I was cheering him on. Fantastic. It really was. Hey, today we got a treat. Um, Last week in Acts chapter 14, after we saw Paul and those missionaries make their round, right, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, all those cities, it says they came back to Antioch, which was their, their home base. That was the place from which they were commissioned. They came back and they reported all that God had done. And today, we get to celebrate the very same thing because we are celebrating today that the Togo team is home. It's crazy to realize it was more than 15 years ago that God put on the heart of a man in Heart of Life, his name's Kevin Jennings, uh, really a heart for somewhere on the continent of Africa And then as God made clear what God was up to, we eventually knew that to be Togo. And uh, he has been uh, a part of leading over this 15 years. Uh, We're grateful that today he is going to share with us out of this last 30 days, I think, which is by far the longest we've ever seen a team like that be gone. But we're glad they're home. But 30 days, he is here today today in order to report to us what God has done. I'm reminding you, it's for you. Because what we learned last week is if you're a Christian, then you're a missionary and you're a discipler. That means that what God has done out of these last 30 days, there's something that has to do with you. I encourage you to open your heart one more time. Would you welcome Mr. Kevin Jennings this morning? you guys you look pretty come on guys work with me let's do it loud we are glad to be back here man you guys never look so pretty my goodness you know you'll never know what these last couple of weeks were to us with the messages that we were receiving from from some of you the blessings that you made there's there's messages that I've saved that I only got from one person 
and it just said everything. And then I would get another one from another person. It would just say everything. We'd get another one from another person. And it would just say everything to us. And we were in this lockdown situation where we couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere. And we were trying to figure out how in the world that we were going to bless these people in a fashion that they deserved and, and not miss out on something. And you know what? It was us that got the blessing. You guys reached out to us in a fashion that will, you will never understand what you meant to us. And to be so secluded and on an island that you feel like you can never get off of, and we keep getting those reports from home, we're praying for you. There's people that love you. There's things that are happening here. And we felt our team grow from five people to 500 people. And it was just amazing, the blessing that you were to us. On this trip, we had a difficult time getting into the country because, you know, all the, all the issues with COVID, all the problems that we had with um, being able to get in, get our visas, get our shots, our, our, uh, our, our tests and all those things, we, we had to take a test to get on the airplane to fly over. And then somewhere in that 24 hours, they were afraid we were going to pick up COVID. So we had to test to get off the airplane. And then when we got the results from that test, we were able to go anywhere in the country that we wanted to go for a short amount of time. And so it took us two or three days to get those test results back. And then once we got them, we were able to go north is where our project was. And we went up there, and our, our goal was to, uh, to, to work in a school. Our goal was to, to work in the villages. Our goal was to meet the chief. And our goal was to go through all these different things and, and see the people that we haven't seen for two years. And, you know, and we were just broken because these people were up there without us. We had a pastor on site. His name's Aruba. And Aruba's been working diligently for two years with no support from the outside. And we felt like that he was just stranded up there. So for us to get there as quickly as we can to see what's going on and, and to be able to embrace those people and love on them was just what we wanted to do. And we finally got permission to leave and go north. Well, when we got to the north, the first thing that we did was we went to meet the chief. Chief was just, he was excited. And, and he was upset with me because I haven't been there for two years. He was upset with the team because they hadn't been there for two years. And I said, Chief, we got this thing called COVID that won't let us travel. He said, we've heard of that, but we don't got it here. You should have came anyway. And so with, with that being said, he, he just couldn't comprehend. He said, there's just no reports of COVID anywhere. And he said, you should have been here with me because I needed you here. I need, I need what you guys got. And we're talking to a man that is a Muslim that, that understands that to him Christ was just a prophet. And in our, in our process of talking to him, we're trying to let him know that Christ was not a prophet. He was a Messiah. And, and he's beginning to listen to that. I don't know if we'll ever convert the man, but I know that he'll hear the, the gospel and he will let us tell his people the gospel and share it with him over and over and over. So we got to meet with the chief, and in the process of meeting with him, he gave us permission to continue our work. He gave us permission to, to do what it was that, we, that we'd come to do there, but he started making requests. You know, one of the things the chief was really adamant about is that he wants the Western culture into his people within his lifetime. And he says over and over, I'm getting old. I need you guys to move faster. I need these things to happen. What is that but an invitation for us to just go and tear that country up? For us to go and just visit and engage those people over and over and over about what it is that, that we have that they need. And they're hungry for it. The kids just love us. 
the kids just, you know, they don't get a lot of attention from their parents, and, and they just run to us, and they hug us, and they squeeze us, and they sing little songs. You have to get the ladies to sing the songs for you because they're really good at it. And some of them taught them some songs that were kind of silly. But, uh, but they just love us because they don't get that kind of attention. And, and so in our process of talking to these kids with this language barrier, all we can do is hug them. All we can do is teach them little songs. All we can do is play with them. And, and to take a soccer ball, roll it out in the road, and kick it around for a couple of hours is the highlight of their week, highlight of their year. And, and they'll never forget it. But for us to be able to, to go there and do that, meet with the chief, get permission from him to, to go and do our next things was just exciting. But then the next day, or that afternoon, we got to go to a little village called Titi. And that's where we're putting a school in. That was cool. There's 40 or 50 kids that don't have a chance for education that us as a church are given that opportunity to. 40, 50, 60 kids that will never know anything other than the culture that they grew up with, except now they've got Christian teachers using the gospel to share with them what's next. I am so excited for us as a church, for the people that got on board with this. You know, I mentioned to a couple of people that, that I wanted to see this happen. Man, we had 40 or 50 educators in a room within a couple of weeks making plans. Folks, I'm proud of you. I wrote a check that you guys backed up. I can't tell you how exciting that I am to see us as a church to, to go through that and to put that together, and, and it's just beginning. I got pictures this morning from, from um, Daniel. We purchased 40 or 50 benches for the school, and we're able to put them in place so that they can start classes right away. And we're talking about a schoolhouse that's about from here to the back of the building with a tin roof, no sides, and just poles holding it up. That's their school, and they're thrilled to death to have it. And it saves them a three-mile walk one way every day for them to, to be educated. So it, it was really cool for us to get in there and be part of that and see, see that working out. And we were able to share with those people over and over and over about who we were, what we were, and why we were there. And all of us were able to share our testimonies and, and bless those people. I was able to teach and to preach, and we had five people get saved that day. Five people that their lives were changed forever. Five people that will begin to work in that community and, and, and to be a blessing to the folks that were there. So how exciting was that to, to see that happen? And then to, to leave from that and go back to, uh, to the people that had come with us. We took a delegation of 13 people from Mission Tove with us to the north that worked with us. That's exciting for me. Mission Tove is a place that we began to reach out to 14, 15 years ago, and now they're sending missionaries. That's huge. This is the first time that we had ever had a delega delegation other than our interpreters and our other leaders that went with us. 13 or 14 people in this village sharing their testimony, standing up before God and sharing what he's done with them, what he's doing with them, and where he's taking them. And, and just to see that take place was just a blessing for me. And this to watch the people as they listened to it and it moved them, that their own people were sharing with them what was going on in their life. Well, we got to get all that done, and we went back, and the next day was Sunday. And it's on Sunday, or Saturday night late, it just stormed really bad. I mean, it was thunder, it was lightning, and it was just crazy what was taking place, and, and 
you know, the roads that, we're, that we travel on are mud roads, big holes, and just terrible driving situations. And I couldn't imagine what we were going to be running into going back out to the village the next day. But as we're tra- traveling out, I just begin to notice all of these, all of these rivers, they were flooded. All of these um, little valleys water was backed up into, all the way around, there was just water everywhere. And we weren't able to, you know, it, it was just really limiting what we could do. And, and as I was traveling out there, I, I just kept visualizing that all this troubled water, all this rushing water, all this danger from these, this, this rain had taken place. And I didn't, know, I didn't know what that meant to me. But as we're driving down the road, I get to this one point, And as I'm looking ahead, I see this little herd of goats. And this little herd of goats is, is traveling back and forth trying to find a way to get across this roaring river, this dangerous thing. And in the process of doing that, they've spotted the bridge at the same time that we spotted the bridge. And when we seen this bridge, we, we all began to head to it at the same time. We were going to the east and they were going to the west. And as we came up on this bridge, just the water under the bridge was just crazy and it was dangerous. And I began to think about what are we, what are we doing here? What's our goal? What is it that we're about? And it come to me, we're here to build bridges. We're here to take people across this dangerous space. And, and, and it began to work on me what bridges were about. You know, in a, in a military campaign, a bridge is one of the most important things there is because it can get you across something safely and fast. You know, when we, when we, hear, when we see the, the movies of war, it's always about either building a bridge or blowing one up. The, the, the allies will build a bridge and the enemy will try to destroy it. Why? Because you shut down communication. You shut down support. You shut down all the things that are necessary. So as, as a Christian team, as I saw that bridge, I began to think, that's what we're here for. We're here to build a bridge. We're here to, here to build a bridge over something that's incredibly dangerous, something that you would die if you got into it, and something that, that will just consume you and, and take you away never to be seen again. So in the process of, of thinking about a bridge and how that it's going to affect what happens next, I just begin to look for bridges. Everywhere I'd go, there's a bridge. Everywhere that I went, there was something to get you safely across an obstacle. We crossed bridges just with rocks over a stream. We crossed these waterfalls, huge rocks, as big as, as this stage where we would cross over to get to the other side of a waterfall. We crossed little logs that were over a stream and where we'd have to walk on them. All the way up into to when we got back to Daniel's rice paddy, there was a little bridge over the causeway for the water that he was able to get safely into his rice paddy and be able to do his work there. And, and everywhere I looked, there was a bridge, and I began to think about, what does that mean? What does it mean to build a bridge that's going to help these people? What's it mean to give them an opportunity of safety, opportunity of the gospel, opportunity to change their lives? And I began to think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. And that verse starts off with, since we know what it is to fear the Lord. Over and over when we got there, I would ask people, what's it been like for you? What has it been like for you the last couple of years? We've not been here for two years. Catch us up. Over and over, all that I would hear from them, we know what it is to fear. 
That's all they had. We know what it is to fear. We're scared to death. We don't know what's going to happen to us. Over and over and over, all we hear is COVID. COVID's going to kill us. The Americans are going to bring COVID to us, and we're all going to die. We're not going to be able to have babies. Our baby's going to be deformed. There's fear, there's fear, there's fear. And, and it came to me, the first thing we got to do is build a bridge across their fear. We didn't come to do that. We sat in a pastor's conference in Cara, and this lady stood up, and she went on and on and on about how afraid she was because we were there. And I stepped to her, up to her, and I said, ma'am, are you afraid of me? And she said, no, I'm not. And I said, I'm an American. I didn't bring COVID to you. We just want to bring a bridge to you to help you across what you're struggling with. So we began to talk about that bridge over fear. And so to, to be able to bridge that fear, we have to give them to understand. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Understand what it means to fear God. To understand what it means to not be afraid, but to understand what it means to fear the Lord. And as I did the research on that, I looked at that concept up and to fear the Lord goes into awesome reverence, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of everything that, that we need to, to be a follower of Christ, to get rid of all of that fear that consumes us in our life, to get rid of the things that, that hinder us, take us away, and, and to slow us down and, and begin to, to focus on what's really important. You know, when I was a child, I was scared of the dark, scared deathly of the dark. But, you know, once I got into the dark, I seen there was nothing to be scared of. And I'm not scared of the dark. I used to tell my kids when they were young, you don't need to be afraid of the dark. There's nothing out here any meaner than I am. You're safe. There's nothing out here that will hurt you because I'm here. And that's the concept that we're looking for here. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We understand that we're there with God. And there's nothing any stronger or any more powerful than what he is. So in that fear, we can trust him. You know, I'm reminded in, in Exodus Chapter 33, something, 33, 17. And Moses was, was talking to God, and, and Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your presence. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be with you. I want to understand you. And God told him, he said, I will do the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. To fear a God that knows me by name. To fear a God that, that knows what my, my weakness is. To fear a God that, that knows what my strengths are. To fear a God that, that's not afraid of me. To fear a God that will take me places that I can never go. And, and in the process of teaching them about the fear of God, the, the next part of that, of that verse is verse 22. When God says, when my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand. Safest place in the world he could have ever been. The most dangerous place in the world that he could have been was also the safest. He was with a God that he could fear, a God that he didn't have to worry about. And God put him in the cleft of the rock, and then he covered him up with his hand. How safe is that? So we begin to teach people that, that to fear the Lord is to be in that safe place, not be afraid, not be scared, not, not worry about what's going to happen around us, and, and to continue in that process with him and, and keep moving. It, it's not an easy task because they've really been desensitized over a couple of years of how horrible it is outside of their country. 
how bad it is. And they get so much wrong information coming in from Europe and France and all those other countries, and it just, it just cycles down, and, and it's not, there's a whole lot of untruth about it. And we weren't able to fix a whole lot of stuff in two weeks, but we can begin the process. We can begin taking it to where it needs to go. When we, uh, when we understand the fear of the Lord, then we're able to start bridging the fears of the world. We're able to start going across those cultural, cultural boundaries. We're able to get across the language barriers. We're able to get across the social barriers. We're able to get across the financial barriers. We're able to get through all those things and begin to, to talk to these individuals and, and share with them why we're there. Everywhere we went, they said, give us money. We just need money. We need more money. And we would tell them, we can give you all the money in the world, but it's not going to solve the problem because all the money in the world will be gone in a short amount of time, and you'll still have the same problem. We have to figure a way out of this problem that's not going to be financial. We have to figure a way that, that we put our trust in the fear of the Lord. We, we trust that, and we don't let anything hold us back. When we're, when we're thinking about all the different things that we, that we need to look at, the next thing is, is that bridge over the troubled waters. There's so many things that are dangerous, so many things that hold us back, so many things that, that we just struggle with. And when we start building that bridge, I said earlier that in a military campaign that the bridges are some of the most important things because they, they, they move things fast. There's no hindrances. There's, no, there's, no, there, there's nothing slowing us down. And what happens when you have a bridge? There's an enemy that comes to try to blow that bridge up. And that's the next thing we need to work on is how do we build those bridges and make them permanent so that we're not constantly getting attacked and not constantly being, being stripped away and go back to the, the troubled waters and try to, try to, to get across those in a fashion that, that works. There's no good answer except repetitively doing the same thing over and over and teaching the fear of the Lord and teaching that. We said over and over in this, in this, on this team when we were away, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, we'll go and we'll be faithful to God. But even if our God chooses not to rescue us from the fiery furnace, we're still going to obey him. And that was the message that we continued to try to teach over and over is that, that no matter what happens, we're going to trust God. No matter what happens, even if we all get COVID and we get stuck here in a 10 by 10 room and, and not able to do anything, we're still going to trust him. We're still going to bless him. We're still going to do what he's called us to do. When we're, we were able to get the schools going, they're meeting now, that's exciting. We're able to, to meet with the, in the villages and share, have, have, some, have some parties where we danced with them, we shared with them, we played ball with them, we witnessed to them. All that was great. The next day was Sunday. We were able to go into church. We were able to, to preach and teach and share, and all of that was great. And then we began to, to move away from there to go to our next spot, which is up in Kara. But God really put a burden on us. And the next part of this line is, so we try to persuade others. You know, this is where it starts getting exciting for me is that in that process of what we're going to do to persuade. You know, I am so excited about the educators that we have in this room and the other campuses and Lee Summit that they've come together and they, they, they're, putting, they're forming a plan for how that we're going to be able to reach those people. 
And that's how we're going to begin to persuade the next group of people. We're going to do it with education. We're going to build a bridge over the ignorance that they've struggled with in their villages. We're going to build a bridge over the limitations that they have in their village. And we're going to build a bridge over the minimalness that they're, that they're having to deal with. And in the process, we're going to be able to educate them and share the gospel with them. And they're going to grow up. And that generation is going to bless the next generation. And that generation is going to bless the next one and then the next one. That's exciting for me. And what's really exciting to me is that that, that idea came, and with a small conversation, it's ballooned up into a big mushroom that's bigger than what I could have ever imagined. I, I appreciate the people that are involved in that. That is just huge for me to see them take that and run with it. Now, the next thing that we need, the next way that we're going to try to persuade people is that we need a medical mission trip. We need to get a group of people from this church body that's willing to go in to the village of Kalumi, set up a medical mission. We, you know, we have doctors, we have nurse practitioners, we have eye doctors, we have, have ear, nose, and throat, we got RNs, PNs, CNs, FMs, AMs, we have all those people here. And the way that we're going to make a medical mission trip work is for me to get out of the way, because I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I don't got what it takes. But I know there's people here today. There's people that can hear my voice that do. They can put that together. They can make it work. I promised. I wrote a check to the, to the chief, and I promised him within a year, we'll have a medical clinic here. You guys do this with me. <laughs> Help me out. I wrote that check. I've never made a promise that this church has not backed me up, ever. In the 22 years that I went to church here, you guys have always backed that up. Now, I told, the, I told that chief, I said, building a building is the easy part. $3,000, and we can have a two-room building with, a, with an exam room and a pharmacy and a porch and, and maybe even electricity for $3,000. We can have that within a year, but then I told him, I said, the hard thing is going to be for us to staff it because you want Western culture in here to, to staff it. And that takes time, that takes energy, that takes finances, that takes a people to be able to, to relocate. I said, we might be able to go to Chamba and get a, a doctor that will come in once a week and visit here. But it's going to take a long amount of time. And he said, I understand time. I understand that it won't happen overnight. But if you can start, it can go in my legacy as the person that's begun this to happen. So I'm calling on the medical people to rally together like the, like the educators, to be able to, to step into that place where they're like, I can do that. I can be the one to make the difference. I can lead that team. Folks, I'll go on the trip, but I'll stay out of your way. I'll play with the kids. I'll sing songs to the babies. I'll move them through the process, but I'll stay out of your way, and we'll have a great experience. And the, and the long-term effects of that is that at some point, we can have people that will come out of, out of school and go spend six months there at a time, spend a month there at a time. We can have a, a, a people that, that can be there for them when nobody else can. We can have people there that, that will help them when nobody else can. And it will begin to, to make a difference. And as we're trying to persuade others, they're beginning to come to that place knowing there's a refuge there. They know there's a place that they'll get solid treatment. They know there's a place that they'll get the truth. And that'll begin to attract people. You know, one funny story. 
is that, I don't know if, how many of you know this, but the Anai people gave us two different properties. First property, they gave it to us one night. We got busy. We got out. We cleared that land the next day. We staked out the, the church location. We staked out the borders. We cleaned all the brush, cut it back, burned it, went back to see the chief the next day. This is his exact words. I'm sorry I gave you that place. I didn't have the authority to do that. I'm going to have to take it back. He said, I got a better place for you, and it, and it is better. But this is what's really funny. That property that we cleared, that property that, that we made bare and, and ready to build on, the Muslims are building a school there. It's like there's a competition between the Christians and the Muslims to try and to outdo each other. We don't want to be the ones lagging. We don't want the ones to be, to be not interested. We don't want to be the ones that aren't holding up our end. We want to be the ones that are, are aggressive about this, that's going in and doing what we're supposed to be doing when we're supposed to do it. And, and it was just really funny to me that that, that was taking place. We, we want to be that next medical clinic. We want to be that next group of people that, that go in and, and do those things. Third bridge I want to see us make, this is exciting for me, is I want to get a group of about three, six, nine, twelve men between the ages of 20 and 50. Anybody that age in here? Anybody fit that description? And I want us to go into Chamba. I want us to rent six, eight, or ten motorcycles. And I want us to tour those Anai villages, one village at a time. Just like in Acts chapter 14 last week when they went out, they went to the villages, they spoke to them, and then they went on, and then they circled back around and came again. I want to do that over and over again. Three or four or five days in country, riding motorcycles around and visiting with people and touching base with them, sharing what we know, two people and an interpreter, and maybe 100 villages. I think I can get people on board with that. I think, I think some of you right now, when I said that, you just kind of, ooh, that's got my name on it. I can do that. And, and to be able to get there and to be able to engage these people over and over and over for amount of time. Maybe we're in country, maybe we're in a village for one hour, two hours, three hours, and we share who we are, what we are, and why we're there, and then we get on our motos, and we go to the next village, and we do the same thing there. We go to the next village, we do the same thing there, and between our teams, we're able to visit everyone, map it out, where it's at, what it's doing, and how we're affecting it, and then go to the next one. Over and over, I want us to see us do that so that we can engage those people. And, and this is the key thing that I've learned about missions. It's not how long you stay, it's that you come back. We were there for 30 days. We got credit for one trip. One. But if you're there for two weeks and you leave and you come back, you get credit for two. If you leave and you come back and you leave and you come back again, you get credit for three. And they begin to, to believe what we're teaching them because we keep coming back with the same story over and over and over again. And, and that's the concept that we're seeing out of Acts chapter 14 with Paul and Barnabas is that they make that trip in, they share the gospel, they move on, and when they come back, they share the same thing again. 
And they do it again, and they do it again. And then over and over you see the benefits of that. You know, one of the things that Jeff said last week that was really encouraging to me was that they didn't stay there till the whole village was discipled. They talked to a few and moved on. They left it up to the Holy Spirit what was going to happen next. They didn't leave it up to Paul and Barnabas what was going to take place, how they were going to be affected, what was going to happen to them. They moved on. They went to the next village. And, and, and it wasn't always easy for them. There were some difficulties that took place. I don't anticipate that happened other than maybe you might get COVID, but that's not the end of the world either. Best thing that ever happened to me. You know what's really funny? The first 14 days of the trip, God blessed everything that we did. The last 10 days, you know what he did to us? He, he put us in these small cubicles of rooms. And then he began to take a hammer and a chisel and begin to peel off the stuff that wasn't right. The stuff that, that wasn't healthy, the stuff that wasn't. And then he, took, then he took a rasp and he began to clean that up smooth. Then he took fine sandpaper and he sanded those spots to where there's. That last 10 days, as hard as it was, was the best part of the trip because it changed every one of us. You know, we had to get really creative how that we were going to share the gospel with the people that we couldn't touch, that we couldn't talk to, that we couldn't be around. And, and we got, we really got creative with how we did it. Sometimes the only way that we could do it was to overtip a waitress because we didn't know her situation. We just, she just knew that we were Jesus followers and we knew that she hadn't worked for a long time and we know that if we gave her something that it would bless her and bless her family. And so ways like that, seeing the little kids with their little lips coming through the screen and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Those kids just... And the only way that we could bless them was to, to repeat back to them the same thing over. And, and as we went through that with them, just the way that it made them feel warm. There's one, there's one scene that was really crazy. We were all on the front porch of, of the house in the, in, the, in the village. And these kids, if they hear a door shut, they just start coming out of the woodwork. You know? And before long, there's 8, 10, 12 kids up on the porch just hovering and they, and they start speaking every English word that they know because it gets, it gets a reaction out of us. And then I seen this mama come around the house. She had a switch that was about that long. And she came up on, on that front porch, and she took that switch, and she smacked it down on the concrete. And those kids, all their eyes got about this big around. They were scared to death. And there's this one door that leads out of the little courtyard that you pull in to get out. Well, this little guy, he was about this big, and he hit that, he hit that, and he just kept bouncing off of it, bouncing off of it. And then Mama was back there with that switch swinging it at him. And so he, uh, so I reached up and I opened it for him. Those kids scattered. It was crazy to watch that happen. It was kind of scared me a little bit because I thought she was going to come after us next. And I think she could have taken us all because she was serious. And then once she left, she kind of smiled and winked and walked back. You know, that was a game for her, I guess. I don't know. But it got those kids' attention. But it also let us know that we were making an impact with them. I think we were making an impact with that mom because she knew that we were interested in those kids. She knew that we cared for them. She knew that we loved them. You know, trying to persuade others, one thing that we did this time that we've never done before, we've never done this before, is that we had an individual in the church that the night before we left handed me a, a, an envelope, and I didn't know what was in it. He said, just use this however you see fit. And after he left, I opened it, and there was $1,000.
10 $100 bills. And so I stuffed it in my passport stuff, and we, and we left. About halfway through the trip, I began talking to the ladies about this money, what we would do with it. And we knew that Daniel's wife had a store, and she would buy things. She would buy charcoal in huge bags, and then she would sort it down into smaller bags and resell it. They'd buy yams in the north and take them to the south, and they would resell them. They would buy whatever they could buy. They would downsize it and then resell it. And then I knew that Kofi's wife had a store. In fact, two, three years ago when I was there, she, she privately talked to me, and she said, Kevin, can you help me with this? I, I'm having a hard time getting the store started, and it's what, it's what supplies our needs when we're going through difficult times. So I talked to the ladies about it. And I said, what do you think about this? We've never done this before. We've never given anything to the women that would take it to another level. And so we decided that we would do that. When we, do, when we did that, in the process of persuading others, in 10 years, that will still be giving. If we would have gave that to the men, they would have invested into a ministry. They would have used it up. They would have, they would have supported a need. They would have, uh, they would have bought gas. They would have paid a bill. They would have done something like that. But giving it to those ladies, it's going to impact their family. Five, 10, 15, we have no idea. When we go back, we're going to see stores set up that we as a church have invested in. It's going to make a difference to them. It's going to be incredibly cool. The last, last thing on persuading others is just that, that we make ourselves available. I've got about probably two and a half hours more of stuff on that little note, but I'm going to have to just slow down. And I've got one last story that I want to share with you before I come to a close. And this story started about 21 years ago. And I actually stood right here, 21, actually it was about right back here, 21 years ago, and I shared this testimony with you. And it was when we, as a family, were taking a trip to Florida. And we headed west on I-70. We got to Highway 55, and we headed south because I wanted to go down through the Boot Hill and Memphis and on over to Atlanta through that direction. And when I got down in the Boot Hill, there was evidence of this huge tornado that had went through. And this huge tornado had broke trees, busted barns, had just torn up everything. And God said, look at this. Remember this. Don't forget this. This is my evidence. This is what I've done here. Then I got down into Arkansas and in Arkansas, there was a great flood, and these rivers were up, and, and debris was up in yards. Houses were, were washed away, and roads were out. Mud was everywhere. And just the evidence of that storm was just huge. And God said, remember this. Don't forget this. This is big. Then we got down to Florida. When I got into Florida, Florida was on fire. Smoke everywhere, ash everywhere. You could see the flames from the highway. S smoke was in the air. And God looked at, looked at, told me to look at that, and he said, don't forget this. This is big. Don't forget what you're looking at. 
And then we got down to the beach. And when I was on the beach, being from the Midwest, first thing we did was hit the beach. And as we're walking on this beach, me and my wife and my two older kids, we're walking along there, and we stepped out, and it was a perfectly groomed beach. There was no footprints. There was no tracks. It was just absolutely perfect. And while I was walking on this beach, and I was looking ahead of me, and there was no footprints ahead of me, and I looked behind me, and wherever my footprints had been behind me, it had just come and washed it away, and it was gone. And the only evidence that me and my family were on that beach was where our feet were planted at the very moment that we, that we looked. I was 37 years old at that time. God had used me to do some big stuff that was really cool. God had used me to do some small stuff that was really fun. God had permitted me to live the life that I wanted to live. God had forgiven any past sin. God had blessed me with everything that I had up to that moment. And as I was looking behind me, I could see all the evidences of everything that's gone. Nothing was important. Nothing was of value because it was all in the past. Whatever sin that I had was in the past. Whatever greatness that I'd ever had was in the past. Whatever accomplishments I had was in the past. They didn't matter anymore. The only thing that was important was what's in front of me. What was in front of me was a wide open beach. No footprints. I could go wherever I wanted. I could be anything I wanted to be. I could go anywhere that I wanted to go. And that began to just work on my brain. What does that mean, Kevin? What does that mean? God just kept hammering that to me. You've seen all the evidences of these other things? You go through there now, you can't see evidences of any of those storms. They're gone. It's green. Everything's grown back. The water's receded. The mud's washed away. The trees have regrown. But on that beach, nothing behind me. Nothing in front of me. You know what God told me? He said, Kevin... The only thing that is really important in your entire life is where your two feet are planted right now. The only thing of value to you is where your feet are planted right now. It's not what you're not doing over there. It's not what you're not doing over there. It's not what you didn't get accomplished yesterday. It's where your feet are planted today is what's important. It's what you're thinking about right now that's important. It's the very next thing. And, and so I began to, to ponder that, and I began to resign positions. I began to change things in my life and begin to focus on where I was at that very moment and what I was doing and how I was affecting people. And with that, God just opened all kinds of doors for me. I began to just concentrate on that one thing, not worried about what I wasn't doing, but really worrying about what I was doing and how effective I was and if I was making the impact this is the last part of that epiphany, the very last thing that God told me, and he gave it to me within the last two or three years. This is huge, church. This is the one that we get on board with. As you're standing there on the beach, your feet firmly planted, nothing behind you, nothing in front of you, what happens when the waves are sweeping across you? You begin to sink. You begin to sink. Before long, the sand will be up over your ankles. Before long, 
you're bogged down with what was important. You're bogged down with the thing that you thought was, was the most valuable. You're bogged down with that. This is the last thing God told me about that little story. He said, Kevin, don't stand there too long. Don't get bogged down with what you're doing. Change to the next thing. Don't go and remake the story, but approach the story differently. Take it to the people. Begin to persuade people in a fashion that you've never persuaded them before. Begin to impact and affect people differently than you ever have before. Don't get caught up in what's happened. Don't get caught up in how great you were. Don't get caught up with how small you were. Don't get caught up with the sin that holds you in the, in the past. You know, one of the greatest bridges that Jesus did was when he hung on the cross and they nailed his hands, one here and one here. And we took a heavenly father that wanted a relationship with his people and sinful man ruined that with sin. And God had a plan that he was going to send his son to create a bridge so that you and I can have a relationship with God again, that you and I can begin to be who he wants us to be, that you and I can stand on a beach, our feet firmly planted in the sand of time, no tracks behind us, and a future that's wide open for us. Churches, as a church, I want us to get on board with this and I want us to take those next steps. I want us to, to change the approach that we're doing. We've got several things that are coming up in the near future. Uh, the 6th of, of October, we're having a, a vault meeting that we're going to cover more in detail. The ladies are going to share their stories. I get to share a little bit of my story. Then this weekend coming up, we've got the vault where the Burnt District is taking place. And we get an opportunity to represent that, that location People are going to stop by. We can share with them. We can visit with them. We can witness to them, but we can be friends with them. We can reach out to them. We can touch them. We can love them. On the uh, 16th of October, we get an opportunity to go to the Argentine district where I, I would like to see anywhere from three to six families get on board with this where we'll go up in the morning and we'll do what we would call LOL projects, and we'll engage that community for about five or six hours, and then we'll come home. And we'll sleep in our own beds that night. And we will have done third world missions 45 minutes away from home. I want to see us get on board with that and go and bless those people that are helpless and hopeless. And, and, and they, don't have a, they don't have a chance. We have an opportunity that's down in uh, South America. I can't remember the name of the country. But we have an opportunity within two years to go down and do a vision trip, an opportunity for missions down there that, that's going to be exciting. I've always wanted to go to the Amazon. In fact, my call to missions was visualizing myself floating down the Amazon River on a canoe, village to village, engaging people. That, that was what God used to, to interest me, that, that excitement and, and that trip. We're hoping that, that the Taiwan, the China, and all those Asian countries will open back up and we can get a trip planned for that. And we can get on board and, and be there in the near future. We're just praying that all that takes place. But, but as a church, I want us to look at how we can persuade people. I want us to see what we can do next. I want us to, to, to be what God has called us to be and be willing, be able. I'm going to going to close down now.
And I just want to share one last thing, two things that God has used for me. The last part of that verse, what we are is plain to God. In verse chapter 4, verse 17, 16, 14, we see that Peter and John was before the rulers of, of that day, and they said they could tell that they were unschooled and ordinary people. You could put my name in that spot. You could say, Kevin is an unschooled, ordinary person, but there's evidence he'd been with Jesus. That's what enables me to be able to do this. That's what gives me the energy. That's what gives me the power. That's what gives me the strength. Not what Kevin can do. Anybody in this room can do this. You know, the ladies that went with me, they're all far smarter than I am. I don't want to even hint for a minute that they were unschooled and uneducated. But, you know, we are all just ordinary people. Those girls were rock stars. Best team I've ever taken. It was fun being with them. And being in that country, knowing that, that God was going to use us in the way that he was going to use us, was just a true blessing. I'm going to stop now. I'm going to come down front. I'm going to be available for anybody that wants to talk or pray. I'm going to ask the ladies. We call them the pink ladies. The pink ladies to come up. They're going to line up here. If anybody wants to pray with them, if anybody wants to, to share with them or love on them, come up and do that. They want to pray with you. They want to love on you. They want to tell you that that you can do it as well. They want to tell you how great an opportunity that we have. I look forward to seeing you on the 6th. Thanks, guys.